Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman, and with us at City Hall today is Alderman Amea Pawar. You are a candidate for treasurer. You have run for governor. This time you have money. Well, we raised a million dollars last time uh, when I ran for governor. So, um, but I think this time, uh, you know, I think it, it's a, it's a little bit easier. We've built a lot of relationships with labor and uh, donors across the city and state. So I think. Um, but you have big money people. You've got Michael Sachs and the co-founder of Facebook. I mean, what what's that all about? I think they see the work that we're doing on modernizing the earned income tax credit, um, the potential for universal basic income, uh, talk of a public bank. Um, I'm not saying they all agree with everything, but I think they see that there is an opportunity to go big and be very bold about financial and racial justice. Now, this was a heck of a week at City Hall. You took on Ed Burke about the Trump representation, his property tax appeals work for Trump Tower, even before any of this. What do you make of the raid? It's it's hard to say what this is all about. Um, I mean, I don't want to speculate. And, um, you know, I uh, made clear my views on representing President Trump and you know, and, and my views were about the idea that here's a guy, meaning the president of the United States, who is uh, taking punitive action against the city, um, threatening to defund us because we are a sanctuary city, while at the same time asking for property tax breaks for his mammoth monstrosity here downtown. And so I just, to me, it's, um, you know, the president doesn't have any core values, and I feel like it is, it's it's beyond the pale, and so I, you know, I, ma- I made my statement. Uh, and you thought Burke was putting the almighty dollar for himself over his constituents, and the insult that was to them. I just think it comes down to, um, you know, President Trump is a demagogue, and I feel like uh, we shouldn't be doing anything to empower him. We shouldn't be doing anything to enrich him. So I just think we need to be very careful. But let's talk about Burke, though. What does this say about him, and what will the impact be if he exits, either by defeat, dropping out, resigning, indictment, whatever? He's been in the city council for 50 years, I think. Um, We are looking in the next cycle, and I think the next one, two, three cycles, in tectonic shifts in politics. You know, cities are moving left. Um, that's because people are getting squeezed at every level of government. The U.S. government is not doing anything about income inequality. And so the only place where you can move legislation is at the municipal level. Look, I worked on raising the minimum wage, passing paid sick leave. These are things that should be done at the federal and state level. But now we have to tackle them locally. And I think there's going to be a leftward shift, a continued shift. Uh, and I think the job of the next council is to, and the mayor is to make sure that we're addressing income inequality. But will Burke's exit expedite the shift left? I think uh, the, the 
fresher faces, new voices, more progressives in city council is a good thing. Um, and I think you're going to continue seeing these tectonic shifts in policy and politics in Chicago. Um, we are moving in that way, um, and that's a good thing for Chicago. And has he been a bad thing in the sense that he's had too much control over people and legislation? Will it be a freeing, liberating thing if he leaves? I mean, I think um, there's al it's always a good thing to have new faces, new voices, a new set of eyes on issues. Is there a loss, though, the institutional memory? I mean, he knows more in his pinky finger than mm -hmm. anybody. Look, I think experience is also important, too. So this is the other thing that I kind of try to balance when I talk to people about politics, which is institutional knowledge, experience is important because otherwise the only people who are qualified to run because we always want outsiders are carnival barkers, pro wrestlers, and the kind of people we have in the White House. Uh, if you want um, good government, elect people who have experience in government, elect people who have worked on issues related to social justice, and elect those uh, folks to um, higher office. And I think there's a balance here. Institutional knowledge and experience in government is important. Um, because this work is hard and it's just like any other job where you have to figure out how to work with people you like and you don't like. Um, and then simply always uh, trying to elect the biggest outsider um, doesn't make sense to me either because that's how we ended up with President Trump. It's how we ended up with pro wrestlers talking, for, talking about running for office. And I don't have anything against them, the pro wrestlers that is. Uh, but I do have a problem with our Carnival Barker president. Now, let's talk about some of your ideas for the Treasurer's Office. You have some really big and broad ideas about things that really aren't in the Treasurer's purview. The student loan crisis, how? So let me just say one thing. When I ran for Alderman eight years ago, people said, legislation is not in your purview. Pick up the garbage, fill the potholes, work on your little kingdom in the 47th Ward. And I said, no, our job is to be a citywide legislator. And I've shown over the last eight years that we can get a lot of things done and have passed over a dozen pieces of legislation. The treasurer's office is not only the chief investment banker, um, but the treasurer is also uh, making investments on our behalf, and that job and those investments is a reflection of our values. So the question I have is, do we want to continue investing in companies that target LGBTQ communities? Do we want to uh, invest in companies that uh, prevent their workers from bargaining? Uh, or collectively bargaining? Do we want to invest in companies that refuse to put employees on their boards of directors? The student loan crisis. Um, I use my own example. I make $108,000 a year as an alderman, um, and I'm not complaining. And I'm, uh, do you have a side job? Do I? I have a side job? I do. Okay. Um, and I'm not complaining. Uh, but 80% of my take home goes to pay for student loans that I brought Still. to Still? Yes. Your loans and no, your wife? Or just, just me. Really? Uh, I, br I brought a lot of student loans to our marriage. You got uh, a 200, yoke 200, around 000, your neck. $200,000 wow. I got to go to really great schools, but I, you know, my family didn't have money. But they said, if you can get in, we will figure out a way, borrow, do whatever you need to do, get it done. And everything is broken my way as a result of ed education. The question I have is 80% of my take home goes to student loans and childcare, and I'm not complaining. The question I have is, should the federal government be charging me 7% of my student loans and everyone else? And I'm saying the treasurer has the ability to work with uh, banks, either to launch a public bank or work with private banks or work with investment funds and pension funds to say, let's invest in student loans, cut 
interest rates for students. Let's refinance those loans locally. And you can guarantee a stable return, say 5% for investors. That 5% to 7% delta, the 2%. The 2% savings for is the- Is a massive economic stimulus. So for a kid who has a $200,000 nut around his neck like you do, how much would that save that Five, per- $600 a month. Going from seven to five. Yeah, $600 a month that we would just spend in the economy. And if you tie that to residency in the city, if we say move to Chicago, stay in Chicago, we'll refinance your student loans, we'll guarantee a 5% return for investors, which, by the way, is more than most hedge funds give our pension funds. You save on the fees, so there is an additional uh, return there, and you get new residents. So you would say to this crop of Big Ten graduates or even the whole universe of American graduates, come to Chicago, we will refinance your 7% student loan, and that is your rate now, 7? Mm-hmm. Okay. To and that's five, the federal government. To 5 or lower? Well, I mean, we could work on the rates, okay. but I mean... All right, and come here and, and agree to stay here for how many years we to do, do this? 10, 15 years, the term of the loan. Oh, they'd have to sign on the dotted line for 10 or 15 years? Do you think they would do that? So they'd have to agree to live in Chicago for 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, big cities are growing. That's where young people are going. Uh, why not make an additional incentive for them to come to the city of Chicago? The question I have is why not address the issues that are really impacting um, income inequality? That is the confluence of student loans, the cost of childcare, and housing insecurity. All right, chi- all right. So you want the pension funds to invest in student loans? How much? And wouldn't they lose money? Why wouldn't they? They're getting a five percent return or six percent return, whatever we decide uh, the uh, the rate should be for students, as long as it's less than the federal government. It's got to be significantly less, though, to attract people, right, and to get them to sign on the dotted line I for mean, 10 or 15 years to Think about here. your home mortgage. Even a 1% reduction is a massive savings. Um, so imagine a 1% or 2% reduction unleashing three, dollars $400 a month per student, what that means for small businesses, what that means for economic development in our communities, what that means from a tax perspective. So it is an investment that we make um, that... By the way, pension funds put their money in hedge funds who are promising lots of returns, but when you net of fees, it's no more than 3 to 5%. Sometimes it's like 1% or 2% net of fees. So what I'm saying is here is a guaranteed 4 or 5% return. How much more stable can you get? And by the way, that also grows the city's population. Which How much the, could it grow the city's population, do you I mean, think? Because we need to grow. We I mean, need to grow. We have to be 3 million plus. Uh, we are, right, yeah. and Bill Daly is talking about doing that over 10 years. If you did this, how much could you grow the population? Pretty significantly. You think so? Yeah. Okay. Because you can refinance student loans. If we launch a public bank, you can start filling in the gaps for affordable housing because the banks are not financing the gaps for affordable housing. So the city can become the backstop for that with the Catalyst Fund. And now you're addressing two out of the three pain points that families are experiencing, which is student loans uh, and the cost of housing. Now you address childcare in some meaningful way. How would the childcare thing work? I mean, one way to do it is, what if we capitalize local banks with our city dollars? Rather than parking- What do you mean by that? So rather than parking our money in Bank of America, who then lends uh, nationally and globally, what if we park it in local banks And then in exchange for parking that money in local banks, we say, we'd like you to invest in 
local child care centers who are trying to grow. We're trying to, we want you to provide low interest loans to developers who want to build affordable housing. We want you to provide working capital to small businesses, all while we're working to build a public bank. So you're really expanding the scope of a treasurer's office that really is kind of mundane in its investments, you know, in ba- you know what I mean? It's, it's really not well known because you have all the city assets, you put them in banks, you sit on a couple of pension boards and you're done with it. But you're taking that portfolio and really expanding it. It's about going big. These are not normal times. Um, we're sort of in the new Gilded Age. Let me just give you one example. The Gilded Age how? I mean, you have a few people um, who have uh, hoarded tremendous all, wealth, tremendous wealth, and everyone else. So I'll give you an example. Well, you and I are in the everyone else category. The upper middle class <laughs> down to the working poor is in the everyone else. Yeah. Yet we're fighting each other over scraps over here. Um, the $2 trillion tax cut. Just know that this is a data point that we don't talk about often. $400 billion of that $2 trillion tax cut went to foreign sovereign wealth funds. That money went abroad to countries who are investing in their communities and in their citizens by either a cash dividend or by creating wealth for their, uh, for their countrymen. So we are willing to finance economic development and universal basic income abroad with our tax cut. But when it comes to addressing vulnerable communities in our own country, in our own city, um, we talk about Reaganomics and trickle-down economics. Well, let's talk about universal basic income. How can a city that is facing a massive pension crisis, a billion-dollar spike in pension payments just in a few years, give people money? So... We are looking at, as a task force, as a pilot program. Um, what we're trying to do is also seed a broader national conversation about how we expand the social safety net and how do we make things fair again. So I'll give you an example of how we could do something very innovative in the city of Chicago. The Alaska Permanent Fund. They take oil revenues and they uh, pool them and give every Alaskan a check every single year. That was created by a Republican governor in Alaska. Um, so what does that look like in Chicago? Well, but they have, they're sitting on this rich... So stu- are we. Yeah, but I mean, they have, they have all these oil you know, revenues. And so, so they, they have can- oil. We have 21% of the uh, world's fresh water. Imagine if we turned our water system into a, a truly public asset, a cooperative, where we were able to create a dividend for all of Chicago. And so they have true ownership over the water system. How would that work? So privatization means giving an asset over to a public, a private entity who then gives us a chunk of dollars. Right. And then they make the money over the long term. So like we're the looking parking at, meters. Like the parking meters. Now imagine if you publicize an asset. Um, publicize. That's yeah. a new word. I don't see that in a dictionary. Yeah, I just Did bought you just, that. Yeah. Good for you. Okay. Uh, so imagine if you publicize the asset. So rather than oil in Alaska becoming the driver for creating wealth, imagine if we used our water system in the city of Chicago, continue to invest in the infrastructure, but imagine if we used the water system to create a dividend for every Chicagoan. Okay, now wait a second. Tell me how that would work. How do you publicize that asset. You know, we've talked over the years about privatizing the water system. That, that is not being done. How would this work? This is not a new concept. Creating a cooperative model, cooperative ownership model over public assets is nothing new. Um, and so this is just a really big version of that. 
How would you do it, though? How would you go about Every it? Chicagoan could have a share in the water system. So one, that prevents privatization, right? Because now we collectively own an enterprise fund. Um, and that enterprise fund could create a dividend for individual Chicagoans, like stocks do on the market. Or those dividends can be reinvested into communities that need it the most. Um, what would the check be, do you think, the dividend? I mean, it, it, who knows? But I do know one thing is that um, in the next 25 years, uh, there is going to be a major movement to Great Lakes cities, and we should be ahead of this. We should make sure that our water system remains public forever and that people have an ownership over that water system. So it's not just wealthy people who get to live near it. Let's talk about the pension crisis. Do you support the $10 billion borrowing that Mayor Emanuel is probably going to make? part of his December 12th speech on this I issue. Just, I want to see the details before I make any commitments, um, but let me also say this. The only people who are, uh, you know, sort of uniformly against the arbitrage that's proposed here are the people who believe that pensions shouldn't exist or be protected. Um, so I think it is something worth exploring. I think there are lots of risks, um, but there's something that is worth exploring. And what about revenue ideas? Bill Daly's tossed out the idea of a commuter tax. Where, where do you stand and what revenue ideas do you bring to the table for that billion dollar spike that we'll be facing the next mayor? I mean, this is where, uh, you know, refinancing student loans generates a lot of revenue. If I have, if, if you know, you have 10, 15,000 Chicagoans or more with an extra few hundred dollars a month in their pockets by refinancing student loans, um, you now are growing the population, you're growing the tax base, they are growing revenue by spending money in shops, uh, spending money, hopefully... It's not likely to happen soon enough, though, for the spike in pension payments. So what do you do in the meanwhile? I mean, in the, in the, in the near term, look, th this is a pension obligation as someone who will work closely with... Right, but do you have any revenue ideas? In terms of... New revenues. I mean, I think certainly um, the commuter tax has been looked you at. You like the idea? I mean, I think if it applies uh, to folks above a certain income threshold, I think it's something we should be exploring. Suburbanites coming into the city above, over a a, abo above what, 100 k or? It could be 150000 It could be over 200000 um, But I think you can scope it in that way. Any other revenue ideas you come, come to mind for you? I mean, I think we have to move away from fees and fines and actually look at progressive revenue sources. I think there is a way to, for example, uh, create a special um, revenue source out of corporate headquarters. I Be think before we go, tell me who you're endorsing in your crowded race for your seat. Uh, I am staying out of the race. I, there are good people running for my seat, truly. And for mayor? Uh, right now, I'm just focused on my race. Um, I'm, I haven't taken a position yet. I don't know that I will. Uh, I have friends in the race. Um, so right now, I'm just focusing on mine. And what about your daughter? Why is her middle name Koufax? Um, How did that happen? You know, Sandy Koufax is a is a Jewish icon. You know, he sat out of Game One of uh, the World Series because of Yom Kippur. And I have always admired that. My wife, who is Jewish, admires him because there's more to life than just your job. There's more to life than um, fame or something you're really good at. Um, we wanted our daughter Sigalit to know that um, here is someone who was the best pitcher in the game who sat out because of his faith and that don't let any one thing like your job or who your parents are or what you may become define you, that faith and there are other things that are more important in life. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.